I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. On this episode, I have a conversation with Kate Kelly. Kate Kelly is a passionate activist who's had an incredibly impressive legal career advocating for women's rights and also on behalf of other marginalized groups. Today, Kate Kelly and I discuss the Equal Rights Amendment. And with last November's local elections, Democrats made some important wins, specifically in local races in the state of Virginia. And because of those wins in Virginia, we're now closer than ever to passing the Equal Rights Amendment. Kate Kelly and I discussed the incredible history of the ERA and the passionate women behind it. It's so, so fascinating. So here is my conversation with Kate Kelly. Kate Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So I want to start off by saying that I am in awe of the work that you've done on behalf of women so far. The work that you've done with the United Nations and your work on behalf of refugees and women and asylum seekers from South America. So I just want to thank you. I don't know if you get thanked often, but thank you. Thanks. That's very nice. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And so you're continuing that work with EqualityNow.org, right? What does Equality Now do? So Equality Now is an organization that works for the rights of women and girls all around the world. So it's an international organization and I work on our U.S. focused project. So I work on human rights in the United States. I want to talk about, we're here to talk about the Equal Rights Amendment. So, you know, it's happening, right? It's happening. It's happening and it's been a century in the making. Yes. It's been a century. And so I'll refer to it as the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment from now on, but it's happening. It's been a century, you know, but for listeners who aren't familiar with it and with its history, it was originally written by Alice Paul and Crystal Eastman. And coincidentally, I have an episode coming up about Crystal Eastman. There's a good biography that just came out about her. But for listeners who aren't familiar with the ERA. Can you tell us a little bit about its history and why it's taken a century to get this far and why it hasn't been ratified? Yeah, so the Equal Rights Amendment is kind of a century in the making. Uh, It was first introduced in 1923. So you have the 19th Amendment, which passed in 1920, and they got that into the Constitution and that granted women the right to vote. Of course, that didn't effectively mean that all women could vote. Women of color faced barriers uh, until very recently. And, and ongoing to this day. But after the 19th Amendment, uh, the women's movement moved on uh, to many other different causes, and now they could vote, um, and they could get into elected office. And so one of the things that Alice Paul took forward was the Equal Rights Amendment. She thought the 19th Amendment would be step one, we would get the vote, and then we would move on to another amendment to guarantee women's equality in the Constitution. And that was and is the Equal Rights Amendment. Yeah, so you said 1923, and lots of things have happened between 1923 and now. So we can go through a bit of that. But I just want to go back and because you mentioned the 19th Amendment, and then you also have the 14th Amendment, and a lot of other amendments that, you know, give women some rights, right? But what specifically does the ERA guarantee? And just practically, if, you know, once it's ratified, what does that mean for our day-to-day lives? Yeah, so the Equal Rights Amendment, uh, the, the reason that they conceived this, yes, the 14th Amendment existed, but the 14th Amendment was passed before the 19th Amendment. The 14th Amendment didn't even give women the right to vote. So the 14th Amendment was insufficient to give us what we actually needed. In the in the 14th Amendment is the Equal Protection Clause. And, you know, all the cases that Ruth Bader Ginsburg has 
litigated before she got on the Supreme Court. There were a lot of cases that uh, developed a jurisprudence on discrimination on the basis of sex. So she went through and she, she argued vociferously that the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause should protect women. What actually happened is women ended up getting an inferior status under Supreme Court judicial review. So things like uh, race and religion, those kinds of categories get what's called a strict scrutiny. It's very hard to pass and keep laws on the books that discriminate on the basis of race. Now, gender gets what's called intermediate scrutiny, which is a lesser form of scrutiny. And that means it's easier to pass and keep laws that discriminate on the basis of sex on the books. So yes, we do have some protections that have sort of been worked in through uh, these other clauses in the Constitution, but we do not have equal rights. We do not have full uh, and equal standing under the Constitution to this day. How does that what does that look like and how would that help us? Well, one is the judicial scrutiny, which I already talked about. So that's that can help women in the courts when we take cases of gender-based discrimination to the court. And then the second clause of the Equal Rights Amendment says that Congress has the power to enforce it. So this gives an entirely new platform under which all these amazing, incredible women who are, you know, coming into Congress like AOC and the squad and all of these new women with incredible new ideas mm-hmm. It gives them the power to pass laws to protect women. Right now, there are only certain powers that the federal government has and only certain laws that Congress can pass. The rest of the powers are left to the states in our system. And so this Equal Rights Amendment will give them a platform from which to pass an entirely new slate of laws that protect women. So it'll protect us in the courts, it'll protect us in Congress, uh, and it will be a permanent protection. So things that we have now, Title VII, Title IX, all these different, you know, Equal Pay Act, other laws, those are are dependent on the whims of Congress and a future Congress can always take those away. Um, We see that now, you know, Title IX is under attack. A lot of these things we thought were there to protect us are now being chipped away. An Equal Rights Amendment is a permanent protection in the U.S. Constitution that cannot and will not be subject to the whims of whoever it is in power at the time. That sounds like a really good thing. Yeah, I'm here for it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But I just want to talk about it because, you know, the language of the ERA is really interesting because it's and you can correct me if I'm wrong from a legal perspective, because it's pretty broad. Like it talks about gender. We're focusing on the aspect of protecting women. But I think the language is just broadly gender. Right. And I'm interpreting that as being a good thing for the progression of how we view and treat gender in our culture. Yeah, actually, the original language of the Equal Rights Amendment that was introduced in 1923 said women and men. That language was taken out uh, in the 1940s and the current language that was passed in Congress in 1972 that's currently up for debate and still live and well, that language says equality of rights shall not be abridged or denied by the United States or by any state on account of sex. So the actual, the word women, like you said, the word women or woman is not in the Equal Rights Amendment. So I argue that the Equal Rights Amendment can and will cover all marginalized genders. So that can include transgender people, that can include even people who are discriminated against on the basis of sexual orientation. So because the language is so broad, there are lots of ways that it can be interpreted. And I think it, it is fitting, it is broad enough that it 
can fit sort of this modern conception that we have and, and all the people who are being targeted because of their sex. You know, I'm really surprised that you said that that language changed in 1940, because I would have assumed that it was, you know, more recent than that. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. So they took it out. They sort of tried to model it after the 19th Amendment, which it again says on the basis of sex. Uh, and so they were modeling it after the 19th Amendment. They had had success. The, the 19th Amendment was part of the Constitution. Uh, so they streamlined the language. They changed it. I believe it was 1943. They changed it. Um, and then it, it had been introduced in Congress every year since 19. 23, uh, but it didn't actually pass until 1972. So it actually got through both houses of Congress in 1972. And then because Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution says that all amendments have to be ratified by the states. Again, it's this system that we have of the federal government participating with the state governments. Uh, and so three-fourths of U.S. states have to ratify any amendment in order for it to actually get into the Constitution. And so what happened with the Equal Rights Amendment is right away many states ratified it. it was on the platform of both political parties until 1972 it was wildly popular uh, and so it picked up a lot of steam it was immediately ratified by many states and it it got up to 35 states. Unfortunately, the number that's needed is 38, not 35. Uh, and so the deadline, which was imposed by Congress, they put a deadline, a seven-year deadline. So the 1979 was set for the deadline. Uh, that deadline was extended by Congress once to 1982. And uh, the Equal Rights Amendment still fell three states short in 1982. Yeah, I'm looking at the timeline now. And like you said, three-fourths of the states have to ratify it. So that's 38 total. And up until like 19, so there was this kind of a snowball effect until, mm -hmm. you know, the late 1970s and then in Indiana in 1977, it just kind of stopped. Yep. Right. And I'm yeah. just curious as to, you know, like what the cultural climate was that I'm just just thinking out loud, like what yeah. was the cultural climate? Yeah, I don't it's know. It's kind of a wild moment in time because the women's rights movement was in full bloom in the early 70s. Uh, you had marches for the Equal Rights Amendment uh, in order to extend the deadline. There were marches, hundreds of thousands of people marched on Washington. It was a huge nationwide issue uh, and there was wide support for changing the amendment. What changed? How did it go from, you know, rapidly getting 30 states to right away ratify it to slowing down. Well, two things happened. One, uh, the culture wars really picked up uh, and a woman named Phyllis Schlafly, who is um, one of the most powerful figures in American political life, um, if not in those decades, cer certainly even perhaps in the century, she started a movement called Stop ERA. So she started organizing oh. women uh, <laughs> to advocate against the ERA. And the reason that was successful is they used a lot of scare tactics. So they would say things like housewives are going to be forced onto the front lines of the military, dragged out of their homes. Uh, you know, they would they would use the bathrooms argument, which was, you know, is even put in today, but also at the time they used gay marriage. So they would say marriage equality, this is going to cause gay people to be able to get married. So they use a lot of scare tactics in order to fight the Equal Rights Amendment. But also towards the end, it was coming down to the state, the unratified state. And a lot of the unratified states are places where women's rights are constantly under attack and where, where women are really falling behind. So 
you know, there were 15 states that didn't ratify. In 2017, oh, this incredible woman, her name is Pat Spearman, and she is a senator. She's a Black preacher, uh, a Black queer preacher in Nevada. And she essentially resurrected the Equal Rights Amendment. She got the Equal Rights Amendment ratified first time in 30 years anywhere that it had been ratified. And she got it ratified in Nevada in 2017. And so this reignited the movement for the Equal Rights Amendment. People thought, okay, well, states can still ratify it today. And then Illinois followed suit. So Illinois ratified it in 2018. Um, And then we had just one more state. Uh, At this point, we're almost to the 38th threshold required by the Constitution. And that's really where we are today. The next most likely state to ratify is Virginia. It's being currently brought up in the Virginia Senate and the Virginia House of Delegates. It almost passed in Virginia last year in 2019. So we are just a hair's breadth away from getting that final 38th state. That is fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I didn't know the history about Nevada. Yeah. I did not. I, I didn't know that in 2017. I knew that 20, Nevada was the. I keep saying Nevada, Nevada. I'm not really sure. <laughs> they say Nevada <laughs> in Nevada. So okay, I'm so from Nevada. The West, let's go. With, <laughs> okay, let's say Nevada. I knew that it was ratified in 2017, but I did not know the history. And now that I'm looking at it, that is pretty remarkable. From 1977, Indiana being the last state to ratify, to 2017. Mm-hmm. So that that was that was huge like I, i'm assuming that if she had not done this people would have probably forgotten you know or yeah. maybe not maybe i mean there forget, were but. some people who never forgot there were people who yeah. fought, fought for the equal rights amendment all that time uh who were advocating in the states who never really gave up on the dream of having an amendment for in the constitution to protect women uh but it it was largely forgotten and and efforts in the women's movement sort of went to other other causes and other issues but there were some women who never forgot and constantly advocated what really one of the things that kind of brought the equal rights amendment back onto the table is the 27th amendment so the most recent amendment to the constitution is called the madison amendment Uh, it was proposed by james madison it has to do with congressional pay Uh, it was proposed by james madison but it wasn't ratified until the early 1990s so 203 years later a particularly agitated gentleman in texas decided that he was going to create a movement to ratify the, the Madison Amendment, and it did get ratified. So people who were in the ERA movement were looking around and thinking, wait, okay, it 200 years can pass and an amendment can still make it into the Constitution and add additional states, then 30 years is not too much. Then we can still agitate and we can still get this amendment that we've always wanted. So the the, the Equal Rights Amendment would be the 28th Amendment to the Constitution. You know, and, and again, I am endlessly fascinated by women who uphold harmful patriarchal norms like this Phyllis Schaefer. I just can't wrap my brain around around that. She's a super interesting character. She's very talented. If you watch debates with her, it's fascinating because she debated some of the most prominent people in the women's movement at the time and she really honestly wipes the floor with them. Like she is always more prepared. She's very intelligent. She's always on point. She is a very, very fascinating uh, and talented woman. Uh, The problem is, of course, she always gets blamed with the defeat of the Equal Rights Amendment, but for For me, I think it's important to remember that, sure, she was the face of it, but she 
she ran for Congress twice and she lost both times. So she never actually voted against the Equal Rights Amendment. The people who voted against the Equal Rights Amendment were men. They needed cover. They needed to say that it was just a fight women against women, but it was not. The people who kept it out of Congress were men. The people in the state legislatures to this day in some of the states where the Equal Rights Amendment have not been ratified have 80 percent men in their legislatures. Even the federal Congress today, uh, the vast majority are men. So the actual people who are truly keeping us from constitutional equality are not women. Um, she, She really put a face to it and she organized and she helped defeat the Equal Rights Amendment. But the end of the day, the decision makers, the people who had power, the elected officials were men. I'm so glad you said that. That that's that's a really excellent point because representation matters. And you know, it seems like that that repeats itself throughout history. That you know, women often I see that a lot happening with Nancy Pelosi and a lot of other examples we can think of where you know the the blame is wrapped around women. When of course we love to scapegoat women. That's our favorite thing. Exactly, it's our pastime. I mean, the things she did are very very sad. You know, the way that she changed the conversation. At first, it seemed like it was women against men in power, but she inserted herself into the conversation in a way that made it seem like it was just a difference of of opinion among women. And that is not true. Um, Also, she is not the one who would benefit from keeping the Equal Rights Amendment out of the Constitution. That is men uh, who directly benefit from not having us on equal stature. So I I, I always hesitate to blame things like this on women. Um, She's a fascinating figure and and an important person in the movement, but it, it is not her fault. She never won election, so she never actually got to vote against the Equal Right. Not to mention that men can't, you know, alone pick up this fight. Right. I mean, it it is the right thing to do, regardless of what your gender is. Of course. Of course. (laughs) And parody helps everyone. Uh, And and there are many men who have been on the right side of history, who have always fought for the Equal Rights Amendment in Virginia now. Um, You know, last year it came up in the Virginia Senate and the Senate sponsor was a Republican man. So a lot of men are doing the right thing. A lot of men are on our side. uh, And and that is really what it's going to take, because to this day, men are the the vast majority of not only the state legislature, but also of Congress. You may have mentioned earlier and or maybe I'm just remembering this from reading about it, but there's a really important year and date in the history of the ERA. And that's 1982, Mm -hmm. because I think like that's a really important specific date. Can you do you know why? Yeah. So 1982 is the uh, the when the final deadline expired. Uh, So there are many arguments about whether or not the deadline on the Equal Rights Amendment is valid. Uh, Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution says nothing about deadlines. Uh, So there's no constitutional deadline on amendments, um, but it kind of leaves it up to Congress to determine the process. So when Congress finally passes the ERA in 1972, they put a seven-year deadline on it. Deadlines actually didn't exist with constitutional amendments until prohibition. And essentially, the deadline was invented to kind of be this poison pill. The, you know, prohibition was wildly popular. uh, And so they wanted to pass it because they really couldn't get away with not passing it. But they didn't really actually want it to get into the Constitution. (laughs) 
And so oh. they put a deadline on it. They put the seven-year deadline on the prohibition amendment. It did not work. It was ratified within one year. It was wildly popular. Their attempt to limit the, the prohibition amendment totally failed. Um, but since that time, there have been these seven-year deadlines put on constitutional amendments with the exception of the 19th amendment. So the women's suffrage amendment did not, it never had a deadline attached to it. They successfully lobbied to keep a deadline out. Um, they tried that with the Equal Rights Amendment because they knew a deadline would be used against it. Alice Paul, who wrote the Equal Rights Amendment, uh, the day that it was passed in Congress, these women went up to her. They ran into the room where she was, and she was weeping. And they asked her, are you crying? Are, why are you crying? Are you, is, are you just so joyful? Are you so excited? And she said, no, uh, I know that the deadline will kill the amendment. Uh, so even at the time, she feared that putting this limit on it would keep it from getting ratified. So that's what happened in 1982. They, they had extended the deadline once, and in 1982, that deadline came and went, and they were still three states short. You know, I, uh, I and so I'm just trying to wrap my brain around the, the legality of it, because there are conservatives today that are using that deadline to say that the ERA cannot be passed. And I don't know if there's any legal standing to that, like if it's actually, um, you know. I mean, it really comes down to legal arguments, um, which we love as lawyers. Uh, I think we have a pretty strong case that Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution uh, says nothing about deadlines. It is not constitutional and that Congress put the deadline in so a current Congress can take the deadline out. There are two bills in Congress right now. One, Jackie Speer, Representative Jackie Speer from uh, California, she has a bill yeah. uh, to remove the deadline in the House. Um, that's House Joint Resolution 79. And then there is a companion bill in the Senate sponsored by Senators Cardin and Murkowski. So it's a it's a bipartisan bill um, to try to eliminate the deadline. And so so Cong the idea is that Congress put it in, Congress can take it out. And I think that's a pretty good argument. Uh, it's silent. It would be an extraordinary measure for the Supreme Court uh, to intervene and to say that a process which is very clearly a political process in the Constitution or a political question uh, is something for them to decide, that would be an unprecedented overreach by the court. So I think even, even if the deadline, some people argue that deadlines are per se unconstitutional, that might be a little bit of the harder argument. But I think another argument that if Congress put it in and then extended it once already, so Congress did change it from 1979 to 1982, if Congress changed it once already and that was valid, Congress can change it again uh, and eliminate the deadline. Yeah, I just, I don't know, that just gives me pause. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's been a century I mean, because, you know, I mean, frankly, it, it could pass the House and not the Senate, even though it's a bipartisan bill. Mm -hmm. You know, Virginia, the 38th state, that was a big hurdle. But this is a hurdle, too. And it of just course. worries me. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's, it's cause for concern. Um, but you have to keep in mind the long term uh, goal that the Equal Rights Amendment has been on the table for almost a century uh, and women have never given up on this goal. And and also keeping in mind the 27th Amendment. So uh, an amendment was ratified 203 years later. Uh, we, we're talking about a time span from 1972 to now. So it's certainly not 200 years. So it is but we have precedent that an amendment made it into the Constitution long, long after it was initially proposed. 
Uh, and then there is always uh, the start over strategy. So some conservatives say, well, if you want it in the Constitution, you have to start over. That, of course, is the last resort. We already have 37 states that have ratified the current Equal Rights Amendment. So no, we don't want to start over. We just want constitutional equality now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so Virginia is has is really important. Obviously, we've talked about that because we let's see in November of 2019, mm-hmm. um, you know, we the Democrats won a, a majority in the Senate in in Virginia. So that was really important. But also, Virginia elected its first woman Speaker of the House, and that's Eileen Filler Corn. Now, does she have a role in this? I mean, first yes, of all, that's absolutely. historic, and it would be. <laughs> What's her role? It's incredible. She's the first ever Speaker of the House in Virginia. Virginia is the oldest legislature in the United States. Uh, and it's incredible, first of all, that they've never had a woman before. Um, but she is, uh, so they t- they took both the House and the Senate. It's this huge blue wave in Virginia. And really the role that she's going to play is so key because it passed in the Senate last year in Virginia already, but it never got to the floor in the House. So again, a tiny handful of powerful men kept it from even going to the floor. If it had gone to the floor, it had the votes last year in Virginia, but they kept it. The leadership of the House of Delegates kept it from going to the floor for a vote. They kept all, you know, a tiny handful of elected officials in the state of Virginia kept every single American woman and girl from constitutional equality. Uh, the reason that she is makes such a big difference is that leadership is now gone. Democrats took the House of Delegates and now this woman, Eileen Fillercorn, is going to be the leader and she is going to help actually get it to the floor and get it the votes it finally needs. That just has so much weight what you said. Like Now she is going to be the leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, women get things done. <laughs> we do, we do. And, and like I said, I just want to emphasize that she is the first in Virginia's history yeah. to, to, yeah. And also another interesting, interesting point about Eileen Fillercorn is that her, she has these four committee positions and she has filled those with, I think, appointed three African-Americans and three of them are women other the four committee chiefs that she can appoint. So yeah. I, that's actually worth mentioning. I think right? it's incredible because what she's doing is making the leadership of the Virginia House of Delegates reflect the people who live in Virginia. Uh, exactly. The people who live in Virginia are not all affluent white men. The people who live in Virginia represent all different demographics, uh, all different regions. They're not all from Northern Virginia. Uh, And so she's really diversifying the leadership of the House of Delegates. And and that's huge. You know, that's what happens when women get into positions of power. Right. Now, if the rest of the country could follow suit, that would be great, right? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So what happens next? So what should we be looking out for? Yeah. So um, the next step is to get the 38th state. That will happen in Virginia very soon. Soon, by the end of January 2020, and then it will move into a question of removing the deadline. So this will both be litigated, um, and then also, like I said, there will be two bills moving forward in both the House and the Senate in order to remove the original ERA deadline. There's another question of rescissions. That's another uh, issue that will have to be uh, dealt with in the courts. Uh, so five states attempted to rescind their ratifications in the 1970s when sort of the culture wars got picked up and Phyllis 
Schlafly was, you know, doing her whole campaign and those states attempted to rescind the original ratification. So that will have to be decided whether or not states can or cannot rescind. I think we have a pretty good argument that states cannot rescind once they've ratified. That's it. They, they ratified. Um, so essentially what happens is the next state ratifies. We have the 38 required by the Constitution and then the question of deadlines and rescissions will have to be litigated. Um, but essentially women are not going to give up on getting constitutional equality whatever it takes however long it takes whatever we have to do we will get into the constitution like susan b anthony who was a suffragist said that failure is impossible i think that failure is impossible and as long as we keep our eyes on the prize and we understand that what we need is a permanent anchor in the constitution that will protect women and all marginalized genders we will eventually get there eyes on the prize Thank <laughs> you. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Kate Kelly. Thank you so much for your work again. Absolutely. And I'm going to be watching this with you. And yeah. I don't know. And I have a new podcast. So um, a lot of these things are very complicated. Um, and the story of the Equal Rights Amendment is long and storied. But if folks want to follow along, um, they can listen to the podcast, Ordinary Equality. Ordinary Equality. Where can we find this? I'll put a link in the show notes, but tell us where we can find it. January 14th. Um, everywhere you get podcasts so itunes stitcher anywhere you get podcasts um yeah you can find ordinary equality hey everybody subscribe yeah <laughs> okay thank you thank you so so much thank you thanks for having me thank you for listening the electorate is independently created and produced by me jen taylor skinner and of course i'm the host but i also do all of the editing the audio and the graphics you name it it's on my plate so if you enjoyed this episode of the electorate please help the electorate grow by subscribing. Just hit the subscribe button on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Also leave a review for the electorate on iTunes. Lastly, one final way to help the electorate is by following the electorate on social media. That's at electorate on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep up the good fight.